Internet privacy is becoming more and more important these days, and using a VPN in general is the best way to ensure you've got it. And ExpressVPN has everything you'd ever want and need in a VPN, and more. I've tried other VPNs, but once I started using Express months ago, I've never looked back. ExpressVPN works on nearly every computer, tablet, and mobile device, and contains a huge network of servers, over 3,000 spanning 94 countries, with great speeds. You can use it to unblock popular online services like Netflix and Facebook, and they value your privacy more than anything. There are no activity or connection logs, and they use PWC-audited servers to confirm compliance with their privacy policy. They are just fantastic, and I could not be more happy to be partnered with them. So if you are interested in trying it out, you can go to expressvpn.com slash clancypasta, or click the link in the description for 3 months free when you order a 12-month subscription. Using my link, you get an awesome deal, and it helps me out a ton as well. Alright, so without further ado, here's the episode. Hello, hello everybody. I hope you had a great day. I hope your evening is going nice, and welcome to another episode of Clancy Pasta. Now, tonight I have four stories to share with you, all of them great in their own way. The first one is about a man that makes contact with the deceased through a, a pretty interesting experimental machine but things get even weirder than he had expected. That one's called Ghost in the Machine, written by Psyoptic Nerve. The next story is best summarized simply by its title, My New Neighbors Upstairs Are Very Disturbing, written by Jay Group. Then we have a tale of a strange experience a woman has on the road after dark, and that story's called The Wonders of Nighttime Driving, by The Fortune Killer. And then the final story of the night is about a, a very creepy, weird encounter a woman has at a gas station called The Thing I Saw in the Prodigy Gas Station, written by Avery Sinclair. I personally had a joy reading these stories. They are very, very uh, unique and creepy. And uh, huge thanks to the authors for letting me share them here with all of you. And uh, if you like what you hear, make sure to go to the description and uh, check out the links there. And also, if you enjoy this podcast and uh, would like to help support it, especially if you're listening on any of the podcasting apps, I would appreciate it if you would go to the Patreon link in the description and uh, consider donating $1 a month to help keep this podcast going. You get access to ad-free narrations of all new episodes moving forward, and there are some other little rewards there for those that are interested. And without further ado, I hope you all enjoy the first story of the night, Ghost in the Machine. Written by Psyoptic Nerve. To say Gary Murray was a genius may be an understatement. His line of work was the paranormal, however, and he was often discredited due to his eclectic nature. During the course of his career, he created a number of computer programs and machines to help trace and document the afterlife, as well as authoring over 50 books on the topic. Though he may have been laughed at in the scientific community, he was never deterred from his ceaseless determination to understand what happens when we pass on. When I entered my teenage years, I often read about his trips around the country from his website. Some of the places he went and some of the things that he witnessed were truly terrifying. Most of the time, though, he simply came up empty. The equipment wouldn't find anything abnormal, the accounts of his clients were most likely fabricated. Or, in the worst of times, he ran out of money to keep investigating further. All of his efforts were documented with brutal honesty, regardless of the outcome. I had been following his career vicariously, having an interest in the subject, never expecting that I might call on him for his services. This changed on the day that my fiancé passed away. The accident could have happened to anybody, the kind of thing that never really enters your mind as a possibility. It looms over you with each second you sit behind the wheel. When she died, I fell apart. We were young, just mapping out our lives together when she was taken from me. The suddenness of it brought me to my knees, begging for some way to reverse everything. Never did it cross my mind that Dr. Murray would be the one who could answer my cries for help. I saw something he had written a few months after Beverly died, trying to fight a vicious bout of insomnia by sitting in front of the computer screen. Somehow his name popped into my mind. 
I hadn't been keeping up with him during the last few years. I guess I have whatever piece of my psyche that knew I needed his help to thank for my decision to look him up that night. His most recent post spoke about a device he had created, a converter of sorts, allowing him to take a digital copy of an apparition to analyze on software he had created. He believed that this would allow him to find out where they went and be able to communicate with them. In a nutshell, he believed that a spirit was already a copy of the soul, and by creating a digital version, he was simply developing another line of communication with a deceased. It was all very far above my head, but it inspired me to reach out. I sent him a long message, explaining what I was going through and asking if he could pay me a visit. I waited for a reply for hours, never receiving one. I had given up, resigning myself to another night of lying on the bed without a wink of sleep, when my phone binged. I flipped over and dove to it, trying not to get my hopes up in case my phone was simply insisting that I update it. To my elation, Gary had replied, not only to offer me sympathy, but to give me an opportunity. He was looking for a chance to use his new invention, which he had so creatively dubbed the Ghost Copier. In his message, he kept mentioning that this was all new technology, and that I should manage my expectations accordingly. When I saw that he was offering to visit me for free, there was no reason for me to decline. He flew in from Washington the next week. I picked him up at the Manchester airport in New Hampshire. We stood in front of baggage claim for longer than it took us to make the hour drive to my home. It was difficult to load all of the heavy crates of equipment he was packing into my Accord. Eventually we succeeded in our real life version of Tetris. He seemed exactly like the person I had pictured. Very eclectic, very friendly, introverted but brimming with conversation. A list of contradictions wrapped together in a balding, pudgy, 60-year-old man. Our car ride was filled with me asking questions and his overly technical answers. If all goes well, we just may make history, he had exclaimed at one point, clapping his hands like a child. A moment after, he seemed to remember that he was going to be communicating with my deceased lover, quickly changing his tone to something more somber. And, of course, we may be able to find you some answers, my dear friend. As soon as we arrived, Gary was out of his seat and began setting his equipment up. He had way more energy than I did, and more than double my age. I did my best to follow along as he explained what every device he was taking out of my car was for. He took a few hours to set up and fine-tune everything, meticulously going through each room with some sort of antenna and a pair of headphones. So, Adam, it looks like we can start whenever you're ready, he said after a while, looking to me when he was dialed in. I nodded my head, trying not to be so nervous. He took the ghost copier out and activated it, the device emitting an aggravatingly inconsistent red flashing light as he pointed it around the house. He combed the downstairs rooms for any signs of Bev for over three hours. I had begun thinking that this was all ludicrous, childish even. I was grasping at straws, I thought, as this aging man crept around my house looking for ghosts. I bit back any kind of criticism I had, though. I didn't want to be rude, knowing he had traveled so far to help me. Once he was upstairs, I sat on my couch, not having much expectation for the evening. I had started to doze off when Gary's voice sounded down the stairs. Adam, up here, quick! I responded reflexively, hopping up and jogging upstairs, not really awake yet, only feeling the urgency in his voice. It was hard to take in what I was seeing. The ghost copier was working hard, the red flashing now like a strobe light, pointed into the farthest corner of my bedroom. There, a silhouette stood, a shadow being pulled at the edges, a strange grinding sound coming from the copier as it flashed. After a while, the light it was emitting was steady, the ghostly shadow disappearing as the light changed to green. I gasped, now fully awake. I glanced at Dr. Murray, who was holding the copier in his arms like it was an infant. Adam, it worked, he murmured feverishly. It really worked. 
The early morning hours went by with me snoring and Gary analyzing lines of code. He tried to make contact with Beverly at some point, shaking me awake to let me know the result. I reached her. Beverly is right here, he shouted, his sour breath reaching my nostrils as I rolled over. Really? What? Wait, what did she say? I asked, startled. Gary was holding up his headphones, motioning for me to put them on. Whatever the reason, I couldn't bring myself to take them from him. I... I think... Maybe you should be the one listening, I replied finally, not so certain I could speak to her. Would I be able to go through with this at all? Gary didn't hesitate, placing them over his ears and turning back to the screen. Adam, she wants to talk with you, he shouted, beckoning me over. I walked to his desk shakily, not certain if I was going to be able to speak. I took the headphones and put them on slowly, hearing a slight static. I positioned the mouthpiece and called out with a trembling voice. Bev, can you hear me? There was a long pause, the static grew louder, feedback sounded, and then I heard her. Adam? Where am I? Her voice was slightly distorted. It made me weak at the knees. Dr. Murray was huddled beside me, trying to listen in. He put a supportive hand on my shoulder, coaxing me to keep speaking. Bev, I really don't know. How are you feeling? I asked, unsure of what to say. I feel strange. I can't tell where I am. I can't feel anything. I want to come back. She was sounding farther away now, her words bringing tears to my eyes. I wish you could. I miss you so much. I didn't get to say goodbye. My voice broke on the last words, choking back sobs. Dr. Murray looked at me with his own eyes leaking. Adam, she started, and then her voice cut out. Beth? Beth? She didn't answer. Gary looked at the screen, trying to fix whatever had gone wrong. We lost the signal, he said, shaking his head. I pulled off the headphones and sat down on the couch, stunned. It had been difficult to hear her voice again. The reality was that my longing to see her was selfish. Whatever I had agreed to have Dr. Murray perform had been wrong. The feeling in my stomach told me as much. She was confused, terrified, maybe. And what did I really know about the afterlife? Was I preventing her from reaching it by keeping her saved somewhere on a computer? All of these thoughts were interrupted by a slamming sound. I looked over to see Dr. Murray banging his fist on the desk. Damn it, I can't reconnect us, he said, distraught. His face was sweaty. He was concentrating so hard. Dr. Murray, I was thinking this may have been a bad... Ah, I got it, she's here now, he yelled, grabbing the headphones. Beverly, this is Dr. Gary Murray, an acquaintance of your husband's. I'm reaching out to you on his behalf, he called. I went over to hear what she was saying. Gary didn't reply for a long while. His face went white. He suddenly pulled the headphones off and let them fall into the ground. I watched perplexed as he ran to the bathroom and vomited. I didn't know what to do. I stood there, frozen. I could hear the feedback coming from the headphones. I was drawn to them, wondering what was going on. I had my hands reach out for them when Gary came rushing out of the bathroom. No, leave now, he screamed, slapping my hands away. His face was bright purple, veins sticking out and throbbing. What's going on? That's not Beverly. I have to fix this he replied, trying to unplug the ghost copier and shut down his laptop. He yanked at the cord, but it wouldn't come loose, the laptop refusing to respond. 
The feedback kept getting louder, sounding like it was being played through an amplifier at full blast. Run, leave now, he said, turning to me with pure terror written on his face. What's going on? I repeated, unable to move. This isn't Beverly, it's something else, something evil. I can't stop it, it keeps making copies of itself. He pointed to the laptop, showing me that there were now over a thousand duplicates of the entity. My blood turned to ice. My feet still wouldn't move. I stood there watching as the duplicates doubled, tripled, eventually reproducing so quickly that I couldn't even read the numbers as they went up infinitely. What have I done? Dr. Murray dropped to his knees in front of the desk. Thinking I might be able to stop it, I reached for the ghost copier, raising it above my head. Dr. Murray howled at me. No, don't. Please, don't. I didn't care how important his invention was to him. There was no way we could let this continue. I hurled it to the floor with all of my strength. As soon as it hit the ground, all the lights went out. I thought I had succeeded at first. The silence that followed was thick after the last few minutes of ear-piercing feedback. I glanced at Dr. Murray. It was difficult to read his expression in the dark. A slight vibrating came from all around us, shaking the whole house. What's going on, Adam? Beverly's voice came from behind me. I gasped, turning slowly. She was there in the darkness, walking toward me. I rose to my feet, staring in disbelief. Beth, are you really here? I whispered, reaching out for her. The lights flickered a few times, and her features came into focus. The top of her head was open, exposing her skull, the skin on the left side of her face rubbed away from road rash. I backed away, horrified. Dr. Murray was screaming to me, none of his words getting through. "'What's the matter, Adam?' she asked, her voice changing into a low rasp. She stepped toward me quickly, opening her mouth and emitting more feedback as her face melted away, revealing the demon beneath. Its skin was gray and scabbed, its eyes glowing red, Rows of jagged, broken teeth were revealed inside a mouth that unhinged and opened up impossibly wide. A scream escaped me as I fell away from her. Dr. Murray grabbed me by my shoulders and was pulling me up, shouting at me to move. I couldn't, stuck staring back at the thing that had been pretending to be Beverly. Millions of black shadows were spilling out of its mouth, rushing through the air and darting through every opening they could find. As we exited the front door, I looked up at the sky, the swirling cloud of demons growing until they were all that could be seen above us. We stood beneath, watching as they swarmed like wasps, taking off in every direction. Dr. Murray was bawling, falling to the ground and shaking uncontrollably. There was nothing I could do, nothing to say. I release the Ark Fiend onto the world. The demon is everywhere, manipulating our actions, consuming our love for one another, poisoning our families, whispering in our dreams. I'm so sorry. I never thought it would end this way. I only wanted to see her again. My New Neighbors Upstairs Are Very Disturbing Written by Jay Group My old upstairs neighbor was nice and quiet. He was an elderly Swedish gentleman who passed away not too long ago. He had a friendly little dog who sat out in the parking lot with him all the time while he rested on his walker, enjoying the fresh air. The little pup would chase leaves around while he sat on his walker, delighted. The new neighbors, though. They are not nice, and they are not quiet. 
I woke up at 2 a.m. the other night to the sounds of footsteps running around above me, loudly. Assuming the upstairs neighbor had a little kid or two, I try not to let it annoy me. There was a jar of earplugs in the closet, so I put in a pair of those and tried to get back to sleep. No such luck. By 5.30 a.m., I took the earplugs out and got up to start my day a few hours early. There was no point in trying to sleep any longer. The noise of the neighbors upstairs was cutting right through the earplugs. I tried not to let it bother me, but the next night it happened again. Right around 2.30 a.m., this time the noisy little feet started running around, stomping on the floor above me. The whole apartment felt like it was rattling around with all the noise. Half an hour passed, then an hour, the noise becoming more steady and persistent. It sounded like whoever lived up there had ten kits, and they were running around causing havoc, while the parents slept, somehow oblivious to the noise. Someone in... I'm assuming the apartment above them started banging on the floor with a broom or something like that, making a loud noise that scared them into being quiet for a little while. But it didn't take long for the racket to start back up again. To make matters worse, the noises were confusing as hell. At one point, it sounded like someone had put two pairs of high heels on a dog and it was running around, going back and forth above me. Then it was like someone dumped out a bucket full of marbles and started rolling them around all over the place for some reason. The whole time it still sounded like a bunch of kids running around with no supervision, stomping up and down the hallways and running back and forth across the floor above me. I wanted to yell and scream, but I'm too polite for that, and far too non-confrontational. So I just jammed the earplugs further in and tried with mounting futility to get back to sleep. Eventually, I rolled out of bed again and went back into the bathroom to brush my teeth and start my day early, this time before the sun had even risen. The bags under my eyes were puffy and dark at work when I looked in the mirror, and people kept asking me if I was feeling okay. Not really, I told them. Some really terrible new neighbors had moved in above me, and they were making my life miserable. Okay, so this is where things start to get really strange. I went to bed the night before last and got woken up again the same way. Noise up above me. Feet stomping, kids running around back and forth, up and down the halls. But then I heard them running down the staircase outside of my apartment. Then they came to my apartment door. The noise of my doorknob rattling violently was jarring in the quiet morning hours. It was making me uneasy. Who would let their kids run around at 2.30 in the morning out in the hallway? without giving them a scolding. And were they really trying to get into my apartment? I was glad I had remembered to lock the door. Every so often I forgot to do that. The front door stopped rattling after a while, and the noise above me resumed. Kids running back and forth, stomping and clomping, screaming and laughing. I managed to drift off to sleep again after a while, during a brief lull in the noise. Sheer exhaustion allowed me to overcome the stress and annoyance of all the chaos, and I fell into a world of disturbingly vivid dreams. When I woke up, it was to a noise that was not above me this time, but behind me. It sounded like someone was in the wall of my bedroom, moving around, breathing, watching me, listening. I bolted out of bed and turned the light on. The noise came again, louder this time, like someone shifting their weight and scraping along the rough inside of the wall of my bedroom. The walls of my bedroom are in poor shape, badly needing repair, so I could see right through the gaps in its wood. There was someone crawling around in there. I saw a pair of little eyes looking at me, fingers poking out curiously, heard giggling sounds from all around me. Terrified, I went over to my bedside table to grab my phone. I was going to dial 911 when I heard something else, this time from the other side of the room. Another sound like a person climbing around inside the walls. How was that even possible? The gap inside wasn't big enough, even for a child, I would think. It was a very old building, but still, I was flabbergasted and frightened out of my wits. My phone was missing from the bedside table. There was someone with me in the apartment, 
I realized, just as I heard the sound of receding footsteps running off down my apartment hallway. The little shit had my phone. How many of them were there? I chased after him to the door and saw him running out, but didn't get a good look at him. At least I knew where he lived. Running up the stairs, two and three at a time, I got up to the apartment above me just as he was about to close the door behind him. I stuck my foot in the gap as he slammed it shut, and it hurt my foot badly, but I didn't budge. Let me in there, you little shit. Give me back my phone. He let go, and I fell through the doorway and into the apartment. I looked up from the floor and saw two, well, I wouldn't call them people, but let's just say humanoidish creatures. Gaunt and tall, with long thin arms, they appeared alien almost. They had milky white eyes that were leaking white fluid that dribbled down their cheeks. They looked down at me with disgusted expressions. The one which looked vaguely feminine opened her mouth to speak and I saw she had twice as many teeth as a person, and they were all tiny and rounded. "'Why are you chasing our children?' it screamed at me, a serpent-tongue dripping saliva falling out of its mouth sloppily. The creepy little lizard children surrounded me then. There were dozens of them, which accounted for all of the noise. I screamed as they climbed on top of me, holding me down, Their parents were leaning forwards, ready to kill me, I assumed, when there was a knock at the door. Startled, the pair stood up and the children relaxed their grip on me, allowing me to spring to my feet. They opened the door, to my surprise, and my landlord was standing there. She blinked her eyes a couple of times at the scene in front of her. They were going to kill me, I blurted out, and that lizard kid stole my phone. He broke into our apartment, the woman who is now just an ordinary woman said to my landlord. He's insane. He's ran in here yelling and screaming about my kids in his walls and that they stole his phone. Call the police, please. My landlord looked at me, angry and confused. You were always such a good tenant. I don't know what got into you. How could you scare those innocent kids like that? When I got back down to my apartment after a few more futile attempts at persuasion, I was only mildly surprised to find my phone sitting on my bedside table where I'd left it the night before. I'm getting evicted now. I can't afford what they're charging for rent around here these days, so I'm going to have to move to another city nearby that's kind of known for being a shithole, but that's okay. Neighbors in my new place can't possibly be as bad as those ones were, right? The Wonders of Nighttime Driving Written by The Fortune Killer The glow of the dashboard, the faint passing of street lights, the soothing hum of your car, the road that draws you further into the darkness. Even with your high beams, the inky blackness dominates your vision. Many people dread driving at night. Everything seems different. Everything seems dangerous. But I love it. I love the rush of anxiety when I panic, thinking I miss the exit I've taken hundreds of times. I love feeling alone and isolated. I love seeing trees that were once shrouded in shadows to be illuminated. Driving at night brings a pleasure nothing else can provide. It brings comfort. Many people hate driving at night because it awakens a primal fear of sort. Was that someone hanging from a tree or was it my imagination? Were those glowing orbs the eyes of some nocturnal beast or was that a ghost? You convince yourself that if you stop for the briefest of moments, something evil will snatch you from your car. Shadows can easily make someone go from confident to paranoid within a matter of minutes. Nerves are shot, your hands turn white as you clutch the steering wheel, your eyes focused on the road that seems endless in the darkness, 
unknown hurdles far into the distance you can't see until it's too late. It's a shame so many people dislike it. They miss out on all the wonderful things that happen at night. Like when you pass another person driving alone at night. For the briefest of moments, you can't help but feel a spiritual connection with the unseen driver. Kindred spirits, one could say. It gives you the peculiar feeling of, I'm not alone in this. Or like the alien feeling of seeing familiar sights look slightly different. It almost feels magical, looking with round eyes at the different scenery, making you feel like you had driven into another world. One that's like ours, but it has subtle differences that gnaws away at your consciousness. But what's even better is all the bizarre things you happen to see out of the corner of your eyes. The stuff that stays with you until you arrive at your destination. The scary events that really hits you later and leaves you shivering in fear. One night, I had been driving home from work. It was a long day, so I was feeling incredibly tired. Tired enough I had to pull onto the shoulder and take a moment to compose myself. I didn't want to run the risk of falling asleep at the wheel. I took the opportunity to text my roommate and let her know I was going to be late. The road was next to a large stretch of land that once grew crops, and beyond that field was a forest. I had driven past it thousands of times, but this was the first time I stopped on the side of the road, both at night and during the day. I had just placed my hand on the shift lever to continue my journey when something hit the passenger window, making me scream. I whipped my head to the window to see who it was, and standing outside was a man. Immediately, I tensed. Being a woman alone at night with no one else around put me on edge. I eyed the man suspiciously. He seemed harmless, but looks can be deceiving. Rolling my window down just a crack, I asked, Can I help you, sir? My car broke down, the man explained. I was wondering if you could give me a ride to the nearest gas station. Did he think I was dumb or what? I hadn't seen any car on the side of the road, and even if there had been a car, this was 2020. He should have a phone. Why don't you call for someone to pick you up? I asked, starting to feel uncomfortable. Call? Oh, you mean a cell phone, he said. No, I don't have one. At least he hadn't made the excuse his phone was dead. I'm sorry, but I'm not comfortable with letting a stranger into my car, I said. But I can call for someone to pick you up. I reached for my phone, looking down at the console to pick it up. Do you have someone to... I looked up, my voice trailing off when I realized he was no longer there. Frantically, I whipped my head around, wondering if he walked around the car to get to my side. However, I didn't see him. Did he duck out of sight, I thought. Becoming anxious, he was doing something to my car. I went into drive and sped off, hoping I had seen the last of him. Spoiler alert, I did not. A few minutes after the encounter, I noticed my gas tank was almost empty. It didn't make any sense. I just refilled the gas two hours ago. When did it get so low? Thankfully, in a mile, there was a gas station. I had stopped there many times, but never at night. One of my acquaintances worked the night shift there, and I wondered if she would be in there. Maybe I could go inside and get a small cup of coffee, see if she was there or not. I pulled into the gas station and felt some relief upon seeing a few cars there. Two cars at the pumps and one car pulled up to the gas station. I could see two people, a man and a woman, lingering outside the store, both stretching and rolling their shoulders. I pulled next to a pump, cut off my engine, yanked the key out of the ignition, and turned to grab my purse. Thanks for the ride, miss. A familiar voice said behind me. I froze and slowly turned to see the man sitting in the back seat. He was unbuckling his seatbelt acting as if I'd given him a ride, rather than him somehow sneaking into my car. Not my proudest moment, but I screamed like a little girl and scrambled out of the car. The man and woman looked startled when I ran up to them. 
There's a person in my car, I screamed, frantically, waving my hands. I don't know how he got there. Oh my god, oh my god. The man ran over to the car as the woman placed her hand on my arm to calm down. I don't know how he got in there. The words tumbled out of my mouth. My doors were locked when he stopped me. I... Are you sure someone was in there? The man asked, rejoining us. I looked in and around the car, but there's no sign of anyone there. He looked worried, probably thinking I was insane. Yes, I screamed. Also, not my best moment. I saw him. He thanked me for the ride. The man and woman exchanged glances, and the woman guided me into the gas station. A young man stood at the register, his eyebrows drawn together. He had heard my screaming, but didn't want to abandon his post. A woman stood idle in front of the counter, a bag of chips in her hands. Everything all right? The attendant asked. There was a man in my car, I blurted out. But he's gone. Did you stop on the side of the road? The attendant asked. When I nodded, he continued. Did the man knock on your window? When I nodded again, the attendant went back to work, scanning the woman's chips. He can't hurt you much, being as how he's dead and all that. What? The four of us in the store asked. Yeppers, ages ago some guy's car broke down and he had to walk to a gas station to call for help. Apparently it was incredibly dark out and he was hit by a car. Fellow doesn't know he's dead, so he'll ask people who stopped if they could give him a ride. I'd say it's bullshit, pardon my French, but with the number of people who come in here talking about their mysterious passenger, makes me believe otherwise. You didn't offer him a ride? Chip bag lady asked, clearly delighted in the ghost sighting. In most cases, people do. Maybe he couldn't take no for an answer and got into your car. That doesn't help, B the other woman said, disapproval in her voice. B shrugged her shoulders. He should be gone now, the attendant added. He thanks the drivers and disappears. For a ghost, he's very polite. Hope he passes to the other side or whatever someday. True to the attendant's words, I didn't see any sign of the ghost when I pulled out of the gas station. However, when starting my car, I immediately noticed how the gauge showed my car still had plenty of gas to get me home. It wasn't until I was driving back home the next night did I really accept what had happened. I was passing by the area I had encountered the ghost when a shiver ran up and down my spine. A smile grew on my face as I glanced out the window, hoping to see a ghostly figure wandering by the side of the road. It was the type of smile that said, Bring it on, ghost. I'm not scared of you. In the heat of the moment, it's scary, but later, it sends a delicious chill down your spine, leaving you with a ghostly story to think about next time you drive alone at night. And this was just one of many bizarre and eerie incidents that happened to me over the years. I definitely know I'm not the only person with scary stories of nighttime driving. I eagerly look forward to more disturbing incidents while driving at night. The Thing I Saw in the Prodigy Gas Station Written by Avery Sinclair One of the only things that Prodigy does have is a gas station. I think most of the people who drive through town without stopping think it's closed down, but it isn't. The man who runs it, Warren Neal, just has a hard time keeping it looking presentable on the outside. He's pretty old now. I remember when I was young, he used to play Santa Claus on Christmas when the town hosted their annual hay ride and caroling event at the town hall. He looked a bit like Santa Claus in the face, but... The real Warren was much skinnier. He was a nice old guy, though, and sometimes he even gave the kids free snacks when they came into the gas station. If nothing else, it was a good place to meet with your friends before walking somewhere else. 
The food and drinks inside were cheap, cheap enough that young teenagers without steady jobs could easily afford to grab something, and Warren usually had good music playing on the radio. I liked to wait inside and talk to him sometimes while I was waiting for a friend. Usually, I was waiting for my friend Brayden. Brayden, although I almost never call her that, is technically the most recent addition to the friend group. Everyone calls her Bug. She and I had met in middle school when her family moved into town. If anything, she was the unofficial little sister that I had never had. She's only two years younger than me, but we had a lot in common. And since I was always one of the weird kids, I reveled in the friends that I had. The easiest way to explain the nickname me and our group of friends have for Brayden is this. Brayden likes weird things like snakes and frogs and bugs. At one point, I referred to her as Bug and just never really died out. When Bug and I hung out, we had a loose routine. It was usually at her house. On Friday nights and weekends when she was usually home alone for a large portion of the night, I'd walk from my house to the gas station on Main Street, where she would meet me. We would buy some snacks and drinks, walk to her house, and mess around and watch horror movies until we passed out. That Friday night, it was no different than our usual routine. We met up outside the gas station and headed inside, saying hello to Warren behind the counter as we made our way in to look at all the snacks and drinks. We were only in there for maybe 30 seconds before Bug excused herself announcing that she had to pee and she headed back towards the front of the store. The bathroom was back behind the counter, right near the corner of the building. I watched her go, making peace with the fact that I would probably be standing out here by myself for a while. As I was picking up a bag of hot Cheetos, my favorite, Warren came around the corner. Hey kid, I'm gonna be in the back room for a bit. If I'm not back when you and your friend are done, just holler for me, okay? He jerked his thumb towards the back room, past the counter, as he talked, and I nodded my head at him. Sounds good. I gave him a thumbs up and a smile, and he nodded, walking back around the counter and disappearing. I turned back to my shopping. As I was browsing the few shelves for what other snacks I wanted to eat that night, I felt a very light tapping on the side of my arm, high up, right below my shoulder. Excuse me. I think I'm lost. I jumped nearly right out of my skin. Just seconds ago, I had looked towards the entrance of the store, talking with Warren. No one else had been in here, unless they had been blending in with the walls. I was also positive that I hadn't heard the door open, and it was a squeaky door, so it would have been hard to miss. But, because I was a girl... The only girl in my family, in fact, and I was raised in a very small rural town. I was raised to be supremely polite to strangers. I didn't like being touched by strangers, but my bewilderment at someone I didn't know tapping me on the arm out of the blue was overshadowed by the nearly automatic kick to be polite and helpful. The shocked part of me was buried pretty quickly. I pulled my gaze away from the junk food shelves and turned around to get a look at the person who was talking to me. Based on their deep voice, I had expected a middle-aged, tough-looking man, but that wasn't what I was looking at. Instead, the person I was looking at seemed to be quite old. Still a fair deal taller than me, but so was pretty much everyone else. His skin was very wrinkly, more so than what I had thought of as normal. His eyes looked so droopy that I wondered if he could see anything at all. His proportions seemed almost cartoonish, like how a lot of older people will be drawn with large facial features and huge scruffy eyebrows, but no actual eyes. I felt bad for thinking it, but at first glance, he was kind of funny to look at. I shook it off and offered the man a smile, as polite as I could possibly be. Well, if you tell me where you're trying to go, I can tell you how to get there. He stared into my eyes for a full, slow second before answering. I didn't want to count it against him. Maybe he was just an old guy with some processing issues. Maybe he just wanted to think about what he was going to say before he said it. I won't lie, though. Something about his heavy, droopy-eyed gaze was a bit unnerving. I need to get to my family's house. It's on Turner Street. 
Oh, Turner Street? It's just a couple blocks past here, I said, gesturing to the side as I spoke. Going north, three blocks if I remember right, nearly at the edge of town. The man didn't say anything, and I assumed he was committing the directions I had given him to memory. I tried to keep my polite smile plastered on my face, not wanting to accidentally offend him, but he was silent for a long time, just looking at me. I can write down the directions if you think you'll have trouble remembering them, I offered, trying to be helpful, glancing over the man's shoulder at the bathroom door by the back wall. I had begun silently begging for Bug to hurry it up and get back out here, because I was starting to feel uncomfortable alone. Warren was still in the back room of the gas station, leaving me and this stranger alone. Is it that far? Maybe you could help walk an old man to his home, he offered. And suddenly, the alarm bells in the back of my head were going absolutely crazy. I'm actually waiting for my friend, I explained gently. We have other plans. I could call someone for you, if you have someone else to help you out. Again, the man stared at me for an agonizing second in awkward silence. I don't have anyone, dear. It's just me. It was at this point in the conversation that I noticed something about the man. The skin around his eyes didn't seem to... connect. Like you could slide something under his eyelid in between his skin and his skull without hitting or snagging anything. The more I looked the more weird inconsistencies I could see, and I wondered why I hadn't noticed it before. The side of his face twitched like he was irritated or had some sort of facial twitch. I'm sorry, I don't think I can help you, I responded, trying to sound confident and firm in my decision, but I'm not entirely sure it worked at all. More likely was that I sounded just as uncomfortable and nervous as I really felt. His face twitched again, only this time something was off about it. My eyes flicked away from his and towards the skin around his jaw, less worried about being rude by the second. I think you can. I'm not sure if it's the way he said it, or just what he said that sent a shiver running down my spine. It clicked in the back of my head, finally, that I could be in real danger. Again, his face twitched, only this time I saw it. I realized with a slow, dawning horror pouring over me like a slow trickle of icy cold water that his face wasn't twitching. Something under his skin was moving. When I noticed it, I must have pulled a face, because the old man, or whatever was wearing the skin of an old man, reached out his hand and grabbed me by the arm so fast that I hadn't even fully registered the movement before his fingers were digging into my skin. I recoiled, but only succeeded in bumping into the shelves behind me. His grip dug into my arm so tightly that it burned, and it made me feel sick to my stomach when I became acutely aware of the fact that I could feel something wriggling against my skin. You said it's not that far away. Why can't you help an old man get home? The more he talked, the more I realized that the movements of his jaw didn't quite line up. I reached up and put my hand over his, trying to pry his fingers off of my arm, dropping my bag of hot Cheetos in the process. I hated the feeling of touching the thing's skin, much too cold and every inch moving independently. Let go of me, I demanded, feeling the beginnings of panic rising in the back of my throat. I'll start screaming if you don't let go of me. I was distinctly aware of a subtle, slow hissing sound, and it took me no time at all to realize it was coming from the thing in front of me. I clawed at his hand, and as he tightened his grip to a painful degree, he leaned forward until his face was inches away from mine. As he did, the smell of musty earth and something metallic hit my nose. I could see past the skin hanging loosely around his eyes, and I was sure I could see something moving, like his muscles were alive and slithering over each other like a pit of eels. Even still, this close, I couldn't see his actual eyes, 
I didn't know if he even had any. When he opened his mouth, prepared to speak again, I could see the same phenomenon in his mouth. The skin hung a little too loose, like it was made for a different bone structure than the thing underneath it could provide. I also became distinctly aware that there was definitely something moving at the back of his throat. The door to the bathroom opened, the sound of the electric hand dryer still going, filling the space that felt all too small with just the two of us. The pressure on the side of my arm was gone, and before I could even blink and revel in the excitement that Buck was inadvertently coming to save me, the thing that looked like an old man was all the way across the room and pushing open the door. It didn't look back at me as it disappeared out the door, quickly turning and walking parallel to the building, but I stared after it. I still don't know how it got across the room that quickly. A thought rang hollow in the back of my head, and I barely registered it. He was walking in the opposite direction of Turner Street. When Bug rounded the corner and saw me staring wide-eyed at the door, mouth open like a fish out of water, she furrowed her brow, still wiping her slightly damp hands on her shirt. She asked me if I was okay, and I told her I wasn't sure. Slowly, I bent down to pick up the bag of hot Cheetos I had dropped. I could still feel his hand on my arm, cold, clammy skin, with a distinct feeling of something alive underneath it, uncoiling and squirming right up against the flesh. Remembering the feeling made me want to throw up. She knew something was off about me for the rest of the night, but she didn't prod me too much about it. I did insist that we lock the doors once we were inside her house, terrified that whatever had tried to corner me in the gas station would follow us home. If it did, though, I never saw it, and it never did anything weird. The rest of the night was normal. I will admit, the thing in the gas station is not the scariest thing I've ever seen and I haven't seen it since that day. But I guess that's how life tends to be. Not everything gets the resolution you hope for. I do worry a bit about what could have happened. It moved so fast, I don't know what else it could have been capable of doing, and who knows what it could have done to me if I did agree to escort it home. Either way, I don't like to be alone in the gas station anymore. If Bugs later has to go to the bathroom, I'll hang out around Warren until she gets back. Part of me wonders if the reason I haven't seen it since the first time is solely because I haven't been alone in there since. All I know is that it was trying to lure me somewhere, some house on Turner Street. I also know, especially now, that there are a lot of things in Prodigy that you should never be alone with. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description and go to youtube.com slash clancypasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypasta store. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>